Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. So good, so good. Nice to see other people hopping in. We're going to be diving in. We're pushing into first thing of 14 this morning. Great chapter in the Bible. Really excited to kind of just glean from God's word with you this morning. Because as I was reading it yesterday, kind of meditating on it this morning before we hopped in, I just kind of was passing through and I was like, man, there's some really, really good lessons to learn here from the life of Saul and Jonathan. Some uh, to-dos, not to-dos, and what God is really after. And obviously that's our heart. Uh, But as we're diving in this morning, I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, uh, kind of bouncing back and forth just a little bit with the New Living Translation. I like the way that it uh, breaks down a couple of the verses that we're talking about today. And as always, if you have a verse that stands out to you, a question, whatever that may be, I have the chat open on the side. I normally try to keep my eyes over there. Uh, So if you have a question, anything, be sure to drop it inside of there. I'd love, love, love to talk about it with you. But let's pray and let's go after this thing. So, Father... Thank you that you are here with us. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Uh, I pray this so often because, uh, God, you actually laid it and impressed it on the Apostle Paul's heart in the book of Ephesians to pray for the church. And when he was praying for them, that they would receive the spirit of revelation and wisdom and the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So, Lord, I just pray. Give us eyes to see you this morning. Give us eyes to see practical applications of your word so we don't leave our time together uh, the same way that we came into it, but we have a nugget of truth from your word that we can walk away with. So God, I thank you what you're doing inside of our hearts and lives. And Holy Spirit, we just pray, come and have the first place. Come on, everybody said Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to be kicking off. Get your uh, last sips of coffee in. As you always know, we need the Holy Ghost and some caffeine. (laughs) And everybody said amen. All right. So first Samuel chapter 14, it says that same day, Saul's son, Jonathan, a little bit of context. Saul is right now the king over Israel, first king of Israel said to the attendant who carried his weapons, come, let us cross over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. However, he did not tell his father. Saul was staying under the pomegranate tree in Migron on the outskirts of Gibeah. The troops with him numbered around 600. Eliah, who was wearing an ephod, was also there. He was the son of Atub, the brother of Ichabod, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest at Shiloh. But the troops did not know that Jonathan had left. There were sharp columns of rock on both sides of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine garrison. One was named Bozes and the other Sena. One stood to the north in front of Michmash 
and the other is south in front of Gibba. Jonathan said to the attendant who carries weapons, come on, let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. His armor bearer responded, do what is in your heart. You choose. I'm right here with you, whatever you decide. All right, Jonathan replied, we'll cross over to the men and let them see us. If they say, wait until we reach you, then we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up, then we'll go up because the Lord has handed them over to us. That will be our sign. They let themselves be seen by the Philistine garrison. And the Philistine said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've been hiding. The men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come on up and we'll teach you a lesson, they said. Follow me, Jonathan told his armor bearer, for the Lord has handed them over to Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer behind him. Jonathan cut them down and his armor bearer followed and finished them off. In that first assault, Jonathan and his armor bearer struck down about 20 men in a half acre field. Terror spread through the Philistine camp and the open fields to all the troops. Even the garrison and the raiding parties were terrified. The earth shook and terror spread from God. When Saul's watchmen and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, they saw the panicking troops scattering in every direction. So Saul said to the troops with him, call the roll and determine who has left us. They called the roll and saw that Jonathan and his armor bearer were gone. Saul told Elijah, bring the ark of God, for it was with the Israelites at that time. While Saul spoke to the priest, the panic in the Philistine camp increased in intensity. So Saul said to the priest, stop what you're doing. Saul and all the troops with him assembled and marched to the battle. And there the Philistines were fighting against each other in great confusion. There were Hebrews from the area who had gone earlier into the camp to join the Philistines, but even they joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelite men who had been hiding in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they also joined Saul and Jonathan in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day. The battle extended beyond Beth Evan, and the men of Israel were worn out that day, for Saul had placed the troops under an oath. The man who eats food before evening, before I've taken vengeance on my enemies, is cursed. So none of the troops tasted any food. Everyone went into the forest, and there was honey on the ground. When the troops entered the forest, they saw the flow of honey, but none of them ate any of it, because they feared the oath. However, Jonathan had not heard uh, his father make the troops swear the oath. He reached out with the end of the staff he was carrying and dipped it into the honeycomb. When he ate the honey... He had renewed energy. Then one of the troops said, your father made the troops solemnly swear the man who eats food today is cursed and the troops are exhausted. Jonathan replied, my father has brought trouble to the land. Just look at how I have renewed energy because I've tasted this little bit of honey. How much better if the troops have eaten freely today from the plunder they took from their enemies. Then the slaughter of the Philistines would have been so much greater. The Israelites struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash all the way to Eliam. Since the Israelites were completely exhausted, they rushed to the plunder, took sheeps, or sheep, goats, cattle, calves, slattered, uh, slaughtered them on the ground, and ate meat filled with blood still in it. 
Some reported to Saul, look, the troops are sitting against the Lord by eating meat with blood still in it. Saul said, you have been unfaithful. Roll a large stone over here once, he, he then said. Go among the troops and say to them, let each man bring me his ox or his sheep. Do the slaughtering here and then you can eat. Don't sin against the Lord by eating meat with blood still in it. So every one of the troops brought his ox that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had built an altar to the Lord. Saul said, let's go down after the Philistines tonight and plunder them until morning. Don't let even one remain. Do whatever you want, the troops replied. But the priest said, let's approach God here. So Saul inquired of God, should I go after the Philistines? Will you hand them over to Israel? But God did not answer him that day. Saul said, all you leaders of the troops come here. Let's investigate how the sin has occurred today. As surely as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, even if it is because of my son, Jonathan, he must die. Not one of the troops answered him. So he said to all Israel, you will be on one side and I and my son, Jonathan, will be on the other side. And the troops replied, do whatever you want. So Saul said to the Lord, God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant today? If the unrighteousness is in me or in my son, Jonathan, Lord God of Israel, give your him. But... If the fault is in your people, give Thummim. Jonathan and Saul were selected, and the troops were cleared of the charge. Saul said, cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan, and Jonathan was selected. Saul commanded him, tell me what you did. Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the end of my staff I was carrying. I am ready to die. <laughs> Saul declared to him, may God punish me and do so severely if you do not die, Jonathan. But the people said to Saul, must Jonathan die who accomplished such a great deliverance for Israel? No, as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground, for he worked with God's help today. So the people redeemed Jonathan and he did not die. Then Saul gave up the pursuit of the Philistines, and the Philistines returned to their own territory. When Saul assumed the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies in every direction, against Moab, the Ammonites, Edom, the king of Zobah, and the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he caused havoc. He fought bravely, defeated the Amalekites, and rescued Israel from those who plundered them. Saul's sons were Jonathan, Isvi, and Malkisha, <laughs> and uh, the names of his two daughters were Merab, the firstborn, and Michal, the younger. The name of Saul's wife was Hinoam, daughter of Imaz. The, the name of the commander of his army was Abner, son of Saul's uncle, Ner. Saul's father was Kish. Abner's father was Ner, son of Abiel. The conflict with the Philistines was fierce all of Saul's days. So whether Saul noticed any stronger valiant men, he enlisted them. Deep breath, right? Long chapter there. My goodness. I feel like I need a break now. <laughs> but no, such a good chapter, correct? Uh, 52 verses of pure gold. Um, so be sure to drop, you know, whatever verses are standing out to you. I really would love to hear them. Uh, put inside of the chat what's standing out to you, questions that you may have just from the text, some stuff to kind of unpack a little bit further. So first thing that really stood out to me about this chapter was, uh, let's say, Saul's leadership, right? So Saul was the king over Israel. 
One of the duties of a king during this time period, uh, depending on where you're at in Israel's history, was war, right? So right here, we see Saul is an agent of war, even though he's king. That would pass on to David, which will happen just a few chapters, right? Because I believe it's uh, chapter 17 is when David beats Goliath and when David starts his journey to become king. And uh, as we see David grow up in his kingship, David was a man of war. Right. The Bible actually says that his hands were trained for war and that he had a lot of blood on his hands. David had a desire to build a temple for God. But the Lord said, you are not the one to build the temple. I made you for war. Then his son would go ahead and build the temples. So depending on the seasons in which Israel was in, it was really dependent on your assignment with Saul and David as both king. They were warriors. They were meant to lead Israel in the charge to clear out the promised land. That was still God's heart. Every single soap that I have been in, in probably the past month and a half, I said this last time too, and I'm pretty sure the time before that, right here, we're still dealing with the side effects of unresolved and undealt with sin. And that is uh, one of the key things we start noticing that is even inside of Saul himself inside of this chapter, because right here, Saul's leadership was deteriorating, and his leadership was deteriorating because of his very own character. So first thing we kind of see in verse 1 is a lack of communication between Jonathan and Saul. And I began to ask kind of like, you know, I, I'm, the curiosity of why Jonathan did not feel open to go ahead and talk to his father of, hey, why are we not going to war? They're right, right, they're right over the way. Me and my armor bearer can get there pretty quickly. Why are we sitting here under a pomegranate tree, <laughs> right? Because we see Saul and his lack of movement. Some believe he was waiting on the Lord. I personally don't believe so, given the evidence of the verses following this area, right? Because it says, uh, verse 2, Saul was under the pomegranate tree, and right here it names a priest right afterwards. Uh, the priest that it names is actually uh, a relative of Ichabod, Ichabod meaning that the glory has left Israel. So I don't necessarily know if he was chasing after the Lord or if he was just sitting there being a little bit lazy. I personally believe he's being a little bit lazy, and his son Jonathan was sick of it because he saw his own father's character starting to deteriorate. You see, the deterioration of his character, and I think this is something really key, was because of corrosion, right? There was a corrosion in his relationship with God. And if there's anything for us note takers today, I know we got some note takers in the house. Uh, I always try to give you like some one liner or some question <laughs> just to write down. But note taker, I got something for you. Uh, you know, very often the devil doesn't work in catastrophe. He works in corrosion. So, so we see these large things happen that are devastating, and many times those are the things that catch our attention. But so often those devastating things that happen are rooted from corrosion inside of people's lives or perhaps the morality of someone's life or right fill in the blank. So uh, as I was praying through this this morning, I was looking at Saul's life and saw how he was corroding throughout this chapter. And I'm going to do a quick like breeze through and look at a few verses while we uh, peek into this together. So, right, uh, Saul was meant to be leading the Israelites into battle to drive out the Philistines. Here he is with his feet up under a pomegranate tree, probably eating on some pomegranate. And you will never hear me complaining about eating pomegranate. I'm a pomegranate fan. 
If you know me, you spend enough time around me, blueberry, pomegranate, sparkling water is my jam. I can't blame Saul for this. However, what I can blame Saul for is that he wasn't fulfilling the assignment on his life. Because we see Saul here with his feet up. Then in verse 18, right right after doing the roll call, he sees that Jonathan is gone. He grabs that priest. And this is when he tells the priest to seek God. Because he wasn't, and this is why I believe, I don't believe he was seeking God with his feet up under the pomegranate tree. I believe this is the first moment here in this chapter where he actually goes after the Lord. He says, bring the ark here. What he's saying is bring God's presence over here. When he's bringing the presence, what he's saying is we need to seek God on the matter that's happening in front of us. These Philistines are running around like crazy. The earth is shaking. Is this an earthquake or is the Lord doing something supernatural? So he chooses to seek God. But then the very next verse, he speaks to the priest in a panic, right? The panic in the Philistine camp is increasing and it's intense. Stop what you're doing. And I think this is so ironic. The king tells the priest, stop seeking God. What? <laughs> like, that was like the first red flag as I'm reading this chapter. I was like, oh, no, Saul. Seek God. <laughs> like, this is your moment. You know, this is your moment to show the nation that we put God first. But he decided to, uh, let's say, try and balance uh, seeking God in his assignment, putting God on the back burner. And he says, all right, march forward. We're going to take the camp. And he takes the camp. It goes on. And it says in verse 35, after the people, like his army, sins, verse 35, he says, Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had built an altar to God. What? The very first time he built an altar? So this man is king, king over Israel. And we know building an altar is a way of saying, God, I'm here to worship you. We build an altar every Sunday morning when we come into church together and we meet in a worship center, right? We're building an altar to God to bring worship to him. So this is the very first time that Saul is going to worship God. And then it continues on and it talks about the rash oath that uh, Saul made his people go through. And he inquired of God and God, uh, he was frustrated with God because he's like, Lord, why aren't you answering me as quickly as I want you to? And uh, I don't think we can point fingers at Saul because let's be real. Sometimes that's us right here, right? I know I'm the one sometimes who says, God, why are you answering fast enough? But all of this I want to point to is how Saul's character and his relationship with God was corroding, right? This was not all about catastrophe. This was not all about a one-time thing. This was a corrosion over time. And I think sometimes in our relationship with God and in our lives, we can be going through corrosion and not even realize it. And many times the Lord will allow catastrophe to hit our life so that we can recognize the corrosion that's happening inside of our own hearts, in our own lives, in our relationships, our marriages, uh, in our workplace, right? Fill in the blank because corrosion can hit anywhere. One of the biggest things I was praying for all of us this morning and praying for this soap as I was thinking about corrosion, the Lord reminded me of 2020. And I almost like, as the memory started coming back, I was like, nah, I'm good, God. Like, I really don't want to remember any of that. Like, we're, we are in 2023. 2020 is locked away. <laughs> like, uh, we're, I'm good. And as I was beginning to like remember uh, 2020, obviously, we went through uh, a pandemic. We went through a horrible sickness that hurt so many people. But one of the things that stood out to me was uh, the character and disunity of a nation that almost seemingly happened overnight. 
it kind of looked as if one moment we were all together in the same boat and the very next moment we were not in the same boat whatsoever. We went from on a pay same page, you know, not everything was great. It wasn't perfect, but everything went from, uh, let's say, uh, unspoken host, uh, hostility to very much so outward hostility. And I began to think, you know, 2020 as a whole, in so many ways, was very revealing to us as a nation, revealing to us as a church, what is actually inside of our hearts, what is really going on inside of the hearts and lives, morality of people. And we, I looked at it and I thought this catastrophe that happened was a revealing of corrosion that was going on inside of our hearts and lives. And, you know, I, I have still have friends to this day who haven't, let's say, mentally recovered or heart-wise recovered from what happened throughout 2020, 2021, going into 22, because they went through a corrosion in their own heart. And I want to really like press into this this morning. So if you're ready to buckle up, press in just a little bit with me here. God doesn't want us to live in corrosion, right? He doesn't want to allow catastrophe to hit our life as a wake-up call, right? So how do we live a corrosion-proof life? Here, Saul was going through corrosion. I think us, we can learn so much from this, right? I referenced verse 35, Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had built it. Sin had already happened, and here he was building an altar for the first time. I read that and I grow a little bit disappointed because his priorities were pretty out of whack, right? When his feet were up under the tree, an altar should have been built, right? I'm going to throw just a couple like hard truth bombs. While he was relaxing, while he was watching TV, while he was watching his favorite Netflix special, come on somebody, when he was sitting on the back deck, enjoying the breeze of, you know, last night because the weather was beautiful yesterday, right? When he was sitting in relaxation, he really should have been building an altar to God. And this was a, uh, uh, evidence of the corrosion, correct? And the first point I really want to bring up in how do we live a corrosion-proof life is keep our hearts set on God. Keep your heart set on the Lord. And as I was just pressing in to this and I was praying over it, uh, I had this memory come back to me um, when I was a teenager laying in bed, so weird, the weirdest memory to come back. Uh, this infomercial used to pop up all the time. I mean, all the time. And it was the Ranko 5500 series rotisserie oven. <laughs> uh, why do I remember it so well? Um, they had this really catchy slogan. I know. And I actually see some of it cl clicking for some of us. This rotisserie oven had the catchphrase, set it and forget it, right? Because you would set your chicken in that rotisserie oven, that thing would cook, 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 and you would have just forget it. Let your chicken cook and call it a day, right? And everybody said, amen. <laughs> I am all for some good food. If you spend enough time with me, you know we are getting a good meal at some point. We got to. Jesus is in the dinner table and the church said, amen. So, right, you set it and forget it. However, our hearts are so different than just set it and forget it. I wish I could set my heart on God and just forget it and know that my heart's going to be set on him and call it a day. But what I've noticed in our relationship with God, what I've noticed in the church, what I've noticed even looking at Saul's life is that we can't set it and forget it. We have to set it, wake up the next day, set it again. You may have to do it at 12 noon, set it again, right? Your boss sent you a condescending email at 11 a.m., set it again. And you have to set it and set it and set it and continue to set your heart on God. 
And to keep our hearts set on God, we have to do exactly what we're doing right now, right? Pressing into the word, pressing into the author behind the text, right? Because I'm not just here to read uh, a nice story about Saul and Jonathan and the army. I'm here to glean from the creator of the universe who has said, I made the very fibers of your being, put your heart together, and I want to pull and set my heart on him, right? So we have to keep on setting our hearts on God to live a corrosion-proof life. And then number two, we have to stay aligned. God had a purpose for Saul, but he chose to do things his own way. And you see, God has a purpose and assignment for each and every one of us. The pastor behind the pulpit, Pastor Brendan, any of our pastors on staff, right, fill in the blank, is not the only people who have a purpose on their life. I want to tell you, God has an assignment and a ministry for each and every one of us. We are not exempt from serving in the ministry of reconciliation. Every single person has this calling on their life to introduce people to Jesus. Because there is a dead and dying world every single time we step out of the door. And, you know, I heard this missionary speak once, and it fired me up to hear their story. Because they, they right, their intro to their message was not fancy. Their intro to their message was not, you know, well-worded. They got up, they hopped on a microphone when they were preaching one Sunday morning, and they said, Church, I got to tell you something. Every day when I wake up in the morning, I think about dead people. And the first thought I had was, that's a little weird, right? I want to think about Jesus. But then he comes back. He said, no, I need to see dead people know the life inside of Jesus Christ. It, God has put it so, shut it up so much inside of my bones that it can't help but fire me up, get me out of bed and send me on my purpose and assignment every day. And I will let you know, we may be down here in South Jersey in our region where we're at. You may be may have been born and raised here in South Jersey. However, you are sent as a missionary to the town, workplace, family, friendships, restaurant, beach vacation. I don't care where you're going, but God has sent you there to advance the ministry of reconciliation and introduce them to life. Saul right here chose that he was going to sit under the pomegranate tree and not live out his assignment that God put on his life. And all I could think when I was reading that was, God, don't let me ever put my feet up when I'm supposed to be at work introducing people to you. And I think this is so good in how to live a corrosion-proof life. Set our hearts on God. Stay aligned with what God wants us to do, right? And I think a couple other things, because you know we can look at Jonathan, but also Saul. Or excuse me, <laughs> flip-flop that. We can look at Saul, but also Jonathan. Jonathan's heart was so strong here to me because Jonathan sees his dad and he doesn't decide to follow his dad's pattern. Instead, Jonathan says, no, I am going to go and do what my dad is supposed to be doing. I'm going to go to war. And when he's going to war, he does it with so much faith. Verse six says, perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by a few. Or as the New Living Translation will tell us, it says God can win the battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. And I want to tell you, whatever battle you might be in today, whatever struggle you might be facing, whatever trial you're coming up against, whatever your however it may feel that your circumstances are coming up against you, 
I want to tell you, whether it be by many or by a few, God can win that battle instantly. And many times he's just waiting for us to put our faith and hope inside of him to say, God, you are the God of victory. And we are going to see that victory here today because the victory we experience inside of Jesus happens first in our mindset before we see it in our life. And everybody said, amen, because that's good, right? Victory happens first in how we think before we actually see it in our life. Because Jonathan walked into this knowing the power of his God. Jonathan walked into this knowing the stories of how the Israelites landed inside of the promised land. We can go all the way back to when the Israelites first were scouting out the promised land. They had 12 spies they sent over. And this might ring a couple of bells for some of us. In the book of Numbers, they send 12 spies into the Israelite, or excuse me, into the uh, promised land. 10 spies come back and they say, this, this isn't going to work. Uh, the, the people here, they're big. <laughs> <laughs> they're giants. And then they say this phrase. I think it's so good. It says, we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. How did you know you were like grasshoppers inside of their eyes? Spies? Did they come and tell you that? No, this was something they perceived themselves that they were small in comparison to the enemy. Why did they perceive that? Because they saw their God as small as they were. And I want to tell you, when we see our problems as small as and God big, we can see our problems as nothing more than opportunities and workloads. And somebody said, amen. Whatever problem you may be facing, whatever trials coming up against you, it is nothing more than an opportunity and workloads where God can bring you victory because it's not just a part of what he is. It is a part of who he is, because this is what our God does is bring victory to his people and his children. And I want to tell you, your victory isn't just for you. You know, I am a personal believer and I love believing God for things inside of my life. I love believing God for breakthrough inside of my life, in my wife's life, in my family's life. I love to see God move. I am literally obsessed with the church. However, we also want to see God's victory to see the church, to see people get inspired by the hand of our God. Because throughout this chapter, right, verse 20 through 23, I believe it is. 20 through 23, it talks about how there were Israelites hiding inside of the land. There were Israelites that sold themselves over to the army of the Philistines. And these people, as they're hiding out, get inspired by the victory that God is bringing to the Israelites, to Jonathan who and his armor bearer, who took on 20 people, by the way. That's kind of crazy. 2v20? What? <laughs> like, that's insane. They talk about bravery. But they had this view of God that he was going to deliver them. And these people were inspired because of it. I want to tell you your story, your story of victory, your testimony, right? This is what inspires people to press in past hopelessness, past despair. And your story is the best story, right? Your story that God has written is the best story you could ever share. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10 says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Every last one of us have the testimony of Jesus inside of our life. Every last one of us have a story just like Jonathan here, who have a great victory inside of their lives, right? Who have a great victory of being delivered from sin, marital restoration, come on, financial restoration, supernatural provision. Every last one of us have a story. And the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy, 
And when we share that story, that testimony of Jesus, there's a prophetic nature to it where God says, you share that testimony, I'll do it again. Share your story with anyone who has ears. Because guess what? This is what I love about God. He made every last one of us with two ears and one mouth. That means we should listen more than we speak. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and every last person out there has two ears, and both of them need to hear the goodness of God inside of your life. The goodness of God of how he's pulled you through the muck and miry clay. The goodness of God of how you battled depression. And God said, you shall live and not die and declare the works of your God. Well, okay, get an amen from somebody. And as we close here, I want to encourage you. The armor bear. There we go. Had to find my note. I want to encourage you. Find community. Find community. I want to tell you, you know, connect groups for the summer have pretty much come to a close. But coming up in this September, we have connect groups kicking right back off. We have community. We have opportunities to get out of rows and into circles. We have space to go ahead and plug in with people that want to fight with us, who want to go ahead and say, we're going to lock arms together and do this thing called life together. And hear me, church. Because I believe this armor bearer is the best testimony of what we should be looking for inside a community, right? Verse seven, his armor bearer responded. This is Jonathan's armor bearer. He says, do what is in your heart. You choose. I am right here with you, whatever you decide. Here's what happens. Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. When we get into a connect group, we start unpacking the word. We start go ahead and diving into Jesus together. God says, I will be in your midst. And when he's in our midst, we can know I'm right here with you, whatever you decide. And we lock our arms with people. People say, I'm right here with you. We're going to do this thing called life together. And you don't have to do it alone. So come on, let's let's press in in prayer a little bit this morning, because I believe so many of us, so, 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 so many of us, as we are go ahead, going ahead and saying, God, I want to live a corrosion-proof life. God, I want to live a life on assignment. God, I want to make sure my mission is so clear inside of my life. And Lord, I want my story, the story of how you have saved me from the pits to be known by everyone. I believe that God wants to power you up with grace and boldness this morning to go ahead and live for him and declare his goodness in the land of living. So come on, let's pray together. Father, thank you that we get your word that we get chapters like this that go ahead and just remind us and inspire us to live for you. So Holy Spirit, I just pray in the same way that the disciples prayed in Acts chapter four, right after they were persecuted, right after they went through the beating of a lifetime over the gospel, God, they prayed, Lord, fill us with boldness so that we can continue on inside of this work. God, I just pray, don't let anyone here, anyone here right now listening to the soap later on, to grow weary while doing good. So God, give us boldness to speak the story you've written inside of our life. God, keep us in clear focus of the assignment you've put on our life. And Lord, keep our hearts set on you. I don't want to live in a cycle of set it, forget it, set it, forget it, set it, forget it, set it, forget it. No, I want to live a lifestyle with my heart set on you. So Holy Spirit, I just pray, give us power and grace today 
to live for Jesus and to show us his face and hand inside of our lives. And we ask this and pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, everybody said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Have an amazing Thursday.